unknowns. <clears throat> I got a lot I want to say, and I'm just excited about what the Lord has done through the, through the worship time, through the music of the worship time today, because he really confirmed a lot of what I'm going to share with you today. Uh, the Bible is full of all kinds of characters. Now, you can read the Bible in two different ways. You can read the Bible as uh, a book that, of stories that you just read and you say, well, that's cool, that's good. Yeah, they killed this, they did that, they climbed that. Uh, but, but if you really want to get something out of the Word of God, you want to start reading it and seeing what principles that you find in the Bible can apply to your life and make you a better disciple for Christ. And that's what we're going to start with today. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, for the next six weeks, we're going to rotate the teaching staff around all of the campuses sharing this word. And so you're going to get to see all of the teaching pastors uh, this next six weeks. It's going to be good. Amen? Amen. Because we read in the Bible this morning, Jan and I, that it says the, the message is more important than the messenger. Never forget that, that the message is much more important than the messenger. And so today... I'm going to talk about an unknown character, and some of you may know this. Uh, his name is Mephibosheth. 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 Say that 10 times fast, huh? Or even better, name your next child that. We may just call him uh, Mephibo today. But Mephibosheth, his name means dispeller of shame. And uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to take you through a timeline of scripture. I'm going to read a lot of scripture for you today and kind of set it in context so that you can get everything that God has for you today. But I want to pray first because I believe there needs to be revelation of this message today if you want to come up to the level that God wants you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are humbled and we are grateful that you allow us in your presence because of what Jesus did. Thank you, Lord God, for lifting us up. When everything else seeks to press us down, you, Lord, are faithful to bring us higher. We thank you for your grace and your power. Would you give us revelation knowledge of the word today that we would be better for you, God? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We pick up the story where David has just killed Goliath. And, and King Saul, the king of Israel, uh, wants to talk to him. And so they talk. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, just look up on the screen. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, David, the soul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. He said, I want him to serve with me. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt, and which was customary in those days. When you made a covenant with somebody, you exchanged gifts, and that's what was taking place here. Now, I want to fast forward uh, because now King Saul is, he's been rejected by God, he is, uh, he's tormented by demon spirits, he's jealous of David. And he's seeking to kill David. He's seeking after him. He's searching him out. He's chasing him everywhere. And there's a certain period of time here where, where 
it's, it's just in the mind of David and even in Jonathan, what's going on here? I mean, does Saul really want to kill David? And so in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 11, Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field and Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, the third day, behold, if he will dispose toward David's, uh, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safe. In other words, I'm talking to my daddy. If he wants to hurt you, I'm going to let you know, and uh, you can get away. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from the house forever. And when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David face from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. He kind of reassures this covenant, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again. In other words, he just said, look, we got to get this thing right, this covenant between us. Swear again by his, his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now, after this, David, uh, you know, he, he's being chased by Saul. You've got to understand you've got a king and an army pursuing you, wanting to kill you, and he's hiding here, and he's hiding there. And finally, one day, David is hiding in a, in a cave, and Saul comes into that same very cave, and David gets so close to him, he kind of sneaks up behind him. He gets so close to him that he cuts off a part of his garment. And then Saul leaves that cave, and evidently, after they had, they, they had went away, away, maybe there was a little canyon between them, or, or maybe he was up or down in a valley, I'm not sure, but, but David begins to talk to Saul. He begins to holler out to him across the way and tells him that, you know, Saul, look, I could have killed you. Here's a piece of your garment. I was that close, but I didn't because I don't want to do you any harm. I'm not here to harm you. I don't know what's going on. I'm not trying to hurt you. You've got to believe me. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul says, swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul, he made a covenant with Saul that day that he wouldn't do that. Then the time comes where Saul and his son Jonathan are in battle in Jezreel and Saul and David, I mean, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in the same day. If you read your one-year Bible, the printed Bible today, you read about Saul dying this very day. Today, it, it happened. And so here Saul is dead, and now we're going to see our character come into play here in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when he, the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse or his nanny took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. His nanny knew what was going on. They knew that when the king died, the successor of the throne usually annihilated the bloodline getting rid of every opponent that could possibly rise up one day and take the throne, even children. And so she knew this, and so in her haste, she gathers up this five-year-old kid. They're running, I don't know where, I don't know how. He falls, evidently breaks both feet, breaks his ankles, who knows what, and he's crippled in his feet. His name is Mephibosheth. He is the son 
of Jonathan. And now time comes on after Saul and Jonathan died, David becomes king of part of Israel. He serves as king in Hebron for seven and a half years, but the son of Jonathan, the other son, Ishbosheth, he is now proclaimed king in another part of the kingdom. And so we've got civil war going on for seven and a half years. This fight is going on and finally David prevails and he becomes king of a united kingdom. And I can just see David after all these years of fighting, because we read a half a page in our Bible and we move on, but that might've been 20 years or even 40 years. And so King David is now sitting at peace from his enemies. And I can just picture him sitting in the cool of the day somewhere, just maybe out on a porch, just meditating about his life and, and uh, kingship and Saul and Jonathan and, and the great relationship he had with Jonathan. And then he comes up with an idea in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He remembers the covenant. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. They keep talking about this man being crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mechar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. The word Lodabar, that town was a desolate place, a pastureless place. That's what the word means. Then King David sent and brought him out from Lodabar and um, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do, you not, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Ziba's servants and Saul's servants, and he said to him, all that belongs to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah which tells us that it had been a very long time that this five-year-old had been in Lodabar. He now had a son. I don't know how old Mephibosheth was, nor Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So he lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. This is the story of the unknown Mephibosheth, crippled, desolate, and this is really a story about covenant. Now, folks, listen to me. You can miss a lot of things in your Christian life. There are a lot of things that you can get by with, but you cannot get by without understanding covenant because Christianity hinges upon covenant. Your eternal life hinges upon covenant. And here is Mephibosheth in covenant. 
You know what covenant is? It's a strong vow. It's a complete agreement between parties whereby you vow and you absolutely fulfill completely every aspect of the promise. It's a wonderful thing, covenant. In the covenant was provision. It was provision for Mephibosheth to live a good life, all of his life. Everything was right there. The thing about covenant is when somebody initiates covenant, they have the power and the authority to bring it to pass. And King David, we don't understand kings, but kings were sovereign, complete power. He had all the power he needed and all the authority to fulfill every aspect of covenant with Mephibosheth. In the covenant, David recognized that God, you know, God, God is here. Now, if you study the life of David, this is why you need to study your Bible. You see that God was with him. We just sang that song, God is with, God is for him. God was with David. Even though there was immense trials, betrayals, all kind of politics, but yet the Lord showed David loving kindness and comforted him in every aspect of his life. And that's why David wanted to help somebody else. Look, when David was talking to Saul and Saul was chasing him, David just cried out and said, King Saul, What's going on here? Why, why, why are you spending all your time? Does the king of Israel have to spend all of his time chasing a dead dog like me or even like a flea like me? Isn't it amazing that when Mephibosheth come before David, he says the same thing. He says, who am I that the king would look on a dead dog like me? A crippled ousted leader, because you understand Mephibosheth was in line for the throne of Israel. He was there ready. Can you imagine? Never came to pass. Can you imagine in Lolabar, all these years in that desolate place, he's having to realize that I'm never going to see it come to pass. But he spent so many years there because, brings us to our next point here, that there's ignorance that cloaks covenant. Ignorance is an amazing thing. People's lives perish because of ignorance. Never live up to where they could live because of ignorance. Think about Mephibosheth. Is this young man all of his life lived in fear? Fear is an amazing thing. Fear damages us. Fear cripples us. Fear Fear takes us and hides us away from everything that could help us. And not only that, but fear will keep you from reaching your potential. And everyone, I believe everyone in this room has great potential to do great things for God and for people. But yet afraid, always fearing, always experiencing unnecessary damage. Because he was ignorant, he also was crippled. Fear cripples, it paralyzes us, it stagnates us. I mean, my goodness, it's like life is so big and so large and the kingdom of God is so great. Why would we wanna spend our life in Lodabar? When in fact we could be spending our lives 
doing great things. Folks, I'm telling you, you've got the kingdom of God within you. And that is powerful. That is greater than anything else. But you sit in Lolabar because you never feel like you're anything. So many people feel like they're just a dead dog. Never, ever going to make it. That's how he felt. Stagnated. He was kept from progressing. Not only that, but you know what? He was codependent. He was living in unnecessary hardship. He was living in somebody else's house. Makar. He was living in another person. He didn't even own a home. The king's son. No home. Codependent. When we're ignorant of covenant, we have to live codependent. We can live no other way. Look, 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 look. If you, if you can't get it on your own, the only way to get it is from somebody else. Just codependent. I can't get any word on my own. I can't get any revelation on my own. I can't pray on my own. I can't seek God on my own. I can't get victory on my own. I always need somebody else, and we need people. You'll see in a moment. But let me tell you something. If I ain't got it, I can't give it. If I ain't got it, I can't get it. You understand what's happening? So I'll just sit in Lodabar. It's, it's, well, you know, at least I have a house. At least I'm saved. At least I'm my sins. At least I'm not going to hell, I think. I hope. I believe I'm not, maybe. Surely hope I'm not. And that's where Mephibosheth was. But not only that, he was isolated. Completely isolated, cut off. That word Lodabar, it means a pastor's face, but it means something else too. I studied the word, it means no word, no communication. In other words, he was cut off. Ignorance cuts us off from covenant. We're alive, but we're cut off. You know, folks, can I just tell you something? That this covenant is a corporate covenant. Though we have to have an individual covenant with God, an agreement with God, it's corporate. Because you know what? I'm glad that I have some people around me that if I fall, they'll help me up. I'm so glad that I'm not all by myself. And you who are all by yourself, one day you will learn. This is not a threat. This is just what's going to, you will learn that you need other people. No one is so spiritual and has it together so great that they don't need other people. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Somehow or another. Yeah, that's a good place to clap. Somehow or another, some people think that they can make it all on their own. Like you got it, but you ain't got it. You don't have the victory. You know you don't. You're all cut off and you are in Lodabar and there's no communication. And you need some friends so that you won't be alone. There's types and shadows in these stories here that we need to understand. Types and shadows are like, like David was a type and a shadow of Christ. You study his life, he, he was a type of Christ, especially in this story right here. He made a covenant with Jonathan, just like Christ made a covenant with the Father. You know that sinful man cannot make a covenant with holy God. Listen to me now, sinful man cannot make a covenant with a holy God. You by yourself cannot covenant with God. You needed an intermediate, you needed an intercessor. Jesus Christ came in, he covenanted with the Father for you. That's why he's so great. That's why he's our connector, Jesus. He is so wonderful. His blood paid for the everlasting covenant. It's a covenant of redemption, folks. And redemption means simply I've been redeemed, I've been bought back to my real place. What if I told you that we're back in the Garden of Eden? You say, I ain't in no garden. 
Not me, bro. Man, I ain't in no garden. Well, you know, it doesn't seem like a garden yet, but I want to tell you something right now. The curse has been reversed and fellowship with God has been restored. And that's the, the Garden of Eden. I'm not very interested in walking around a garden with pretty trees and flowers. The Garden of Eden is reconciliation with God, fellowship with God. So wherever that is, that's good by me. For some, it's in a prison cell. For others, it's in a hospital room where two or more are gathered in his name. He is there. He is there in covenant. Mephibosheth is a type of blinded sinner. That's right. Blinded to eternal life, blinded to blessings, crippled, can't get around, no inheritance, no covenant, isolated, waiting to simply die in a borrowed house. That's what Mephibosheth represents, crippled and shamed. The place where David was simply is a place of salvation, the place of covering and protection. A type and shadow of the king's table, it's a, it's, it's a type of covenant provision. He said, Mephibosheth, you're going to be able to eat at my table for the rest of your life. That would be like somebody saying, you can meet me at the finest restaurant every day for lunch and dinner. And some of you say, I can't wait. <laughs> What's wonderful is that one day there's going to be a table set in God's kingdom. And then Micah, just wanted to mention him. He's only mentioned this one time. His Mephibosheth's son is a promise of future generations. And the word of God says, if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you and your household will be saved. If you will believe this promise is for you and for the next generations. And so the covenant wasn't just from Mephibosheth. The covenant was from Micah and Micah's kids. And then those kids and those kids all the way down the line. Covenant doesn't die. Now, folks, how does that apply to us? What, what, what about this thing of covenant? What, where do we find ourselves in this, in this place? How, you, we need to embrace covenant by faith. Now, look, folks, if I would ask you, and I don't ask many questions anymore because I don't get responses, but, so this is rhetorical, just inside of you. How many of you really believe that you're connected to God? I mean, that you really love him and that you know that he loves you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you that you're not just serving on a team but you're worshiping a king you understand we serve on teams but we worship king jesus that's who the covenant is with and i'm gonna take you to isaiah 53 an old testament prophet major prophet in the 53rd chapter which is a prophetic a futuristic view of christ himself paying the price for covenant, and then we're going to see what's in the blood covenant for you. And then you're going to extend faith from this day forward, living in the covenant. Because we spend too much time trying not to sin. But if you'll embrace the king, and if you'll love him, you'll sin less. Did you hear what I said? Man, if you're just fighting every day just not to sin, you are in sub-level. Jesus wants to lift you up out of the miry clay. Put your feet upon a rock. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected 
a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our back on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and he did not care. We didn't care that he was despised. We just didn't care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought this trouble, his troubles, we thought the trouble he was going through were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. First thing about this covenant that Jesus has taken care of, he has been despised and rejected for us. I never have to be rejected again, even when I am rejected. I do not control other people, but Jesus controls me through covenant. I will not suffer rejection any longer because Jesus took care of that for me. It's a point of covenant. It's the promise. It's the promise that Jesus gave. He says, my name is great. You know the name. We're just saying about it. There's power in the name of Jesus. But then the Lord says this, I will put my word above my name. Look, the name meant all authority, meant everything. And God says, you know what? My word, I'm putting it above my name. He means business. His promises are above his name and he's been despised and rejected. In the fifth verse, he was pierced for our rebellion and cursed for our sins. My rebellion has been taken care of and I no longer have to live underneath the curse of sin. Isn't that great? No longer Jesus. My sins have been paid for. You promised, you promised Lord, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am walking in the light as you're in the light. I am in fellowship with God. I am one with God. Me, I'm together with God because of covenant. Because Jesus paid the price. He was pierced for my sins. When you come to a place, folks, listen to me. When you come to a place that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was put on a cross and nailed to the cross because of your sin, you got it. You understand it. Jesus, I put you on the cross. Me, I did it. Next part of that verse, he was beaten so we could be whole. In the covenant, the beatings were not just something because Roman soldiers didn't have anything to do that day. And it wasn't really so that the, the chief priests could get, you know, their thing done because they wanted to quieten down this Jesus. He was beaten so we could be made whole. That means my soul, my life is made whole. That means that all of the abuse and all of the things that have fragmented me where I can't function properly has been paid for by the blood of Jesus because he was beaten, I am a whole person again. That means, you understand, that means I can operate the way God created me to operate. I can be sad, I can be glad, I can be mad, I can be strong, I can have courage, I can overcome. I'm a whole person, my mind is made whole, my body is whole, I'm a whole person. What the New Testament says when he says, I pray that your whole body, soul, and spirit will be taken care of until Jesus comes back. He was beaten for us. We made whole. The next verse there, he was whipped so we could be healed. 
in the covenant is supernatural, miraculous healing. Now, I know a lot of people who don't get healed. I know there have been times I have not been healed. But that does not change the fact that Jesus heals, that the covenant is a covenant of healing. It doesn't change the fact. It doesn't, you see, what we, where we fall short is that when it doesn't work for men, we think God has failed. But God has not failed. God is the healer. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'll tell you what, he will heal you of cancer. He will heal you of heart disease. He will heal you. He will heal us. It's in the covenant. His promises. Now, we don't need a lot of this until we need a lot of this. You know what I'm talking about? You ever notice when you don't need something, you don't think about it? I never think about gas until I need it. In my car, you know, when the needle's on empty and it's beeping at me. I never think, you ever think about, when you're going down the road, do you think about gas in the tank? No, you never think about it until you need it. You never miss your water until your well runs dry and then you go looking for somebody to dig a well. You see, and it's the same thing with the things of the covenant. You don't need it, sometimes you neglect it. But then there comes a time of need and then you reflect on your neglect and you start to embrace. And I don't think that God's all mad at that. Just that we embrace him in the covenant. The seventh verse, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Oppressed, Jesus came to set free all those that are oppressed of the devil. Let me tell you something. He was oppressed and he was treated harshly so that I could have the victory. Look, the devil is real and powerful, but he will not oppress me because I am in covenant with God. Come on now, can somebody say that with me? Come on, that the devil, yeah, he's big, he's bad, he's got power, Jesus, Jesus taught us all about that. But let me tell you something, the devil is not greater than Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come on. So instead of saying the devil's giving me a bad day, a hard day, say Jesus is lifting me up today. Jesus is giving me victory today. Either Jesus is king of all or he's not king at all. He's king of all. Then in the ninth verse, in the 10th verse, he was bruised. I mean, excuse me, he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Man, you know what? There was Mephibosheth in a borrowed house for all those years. And here is Jesus after he's crucified. They had to put him in a borrowed grave. Well, he didn't need it but three days. You know what I mean? Like he didn't even mess it up. You know what I'm saying? It smelled good like it did when they put him in there. Jesus became a criminal. He was like treated in every which way that we don't want to be treated so that we would have victory over everyone. Your goal in life is to press through every single solitary trouble and trial and abuse and neglect and reject with victory on the other side. He will sharpen you to where you will be able to pierce through because of covenant. You know what? There's three kinds of people in the room right now, in this, in this room right now, three. 
There are those people who understand covenant, who have embraced it, who are walking in it, who are warring with it, and who are being victorious through it. There are those that are in there. And and I'll tell you what, come on now. Somebody's got to have the victory in Christ. And then there's another group of people in here. And it's those people who understand covenant and yeah, I got the, yeah, okay, but not really living in it. I mean, just kind of ignorant of it. Just, just, but know about it, but just not real. I guess we could say maybe kind of lazy when it comes to grasping the promises of God. And then there's a third kind of person in here. And that's a person who is completely outside of God's covenant. Absolutely on your own. That's not really what God would intend. This is what God wants. No matter where you are in the mix, King David said, Mephibosheth, I want you to come into my court and I want you to take those dirty, crippled, useless limbs of yours, your feet. And I want you to put them underneath my table. I don't even need to look at them. I don't even want to think about them. I just want to see your face. And I want to extend the kindness of God to you. And that's what God is saying in this room right now. You who have been abused, oppressed, rejected, who have been crippled for whatever reason, you know what Jesus is saying? Come and put your feet underneath my table. I'm not even interested in those things. I want to see your face. I want to extend my goodness and my comfort to you. I want you to come into covenant with me and the Father to where your life will have meaning and to where your eternity will have a proper destination. This is what God is extending to you. And I don't think we can reject it. And I don't think in your pride and your, even your, your comfort of ignorance that you should reject such a great covenant. Come on now. I don't know about you, but right now, again and afresh, every day, I want to just slip my feet underneath the king's table. Come on now. He shall set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I will forever dwell in the house of the Lord. Amen. Come on. Let's bow our heads together right now. Everybody in this room, just put your head down and close your eyes and begin to meditate. Where are you in the mix? The three types of people in this room. Maybe you got the covenant down, Pat. If you do and you're walking in freedom and victory, I want you to start praying for people in this room right now. You're the second type person and you've known of covenant, man, you're just kind of messing around with it. You're not really, you just think it's yours because it's yours and you got it and that's it. And you're just kind of neglecting it. I just want you to go ahead and repent right now. Come on, saints of God, just repent. Come on, just repent and say, Lord, I've just kind of neglected your covenant. I've ne- neglected your grace. I've just kind of shoved it on side and thought just because life was going good, then I don't need you. Just go ahead and, and repent there. Come on, church, just, just, that's you. Come on, come on. 
Father, I just ask you to touch those in this room right now who have kind of neglected your covenant, just kind of ignorant about it, just, uh, well, whatever, it'll come to pass if God wants it to come to pass, and kind of lackadaisical, God, would you touch us in the name of Jesus? Would you touch your people, God, with your presence? Maybe you're the third type person. We've all been there. Every human being is on one side or the other of covenant. Maybe you're the type of person you didn't even know what it was, didn't even know what it existed, didn't know you had to be part of it, but you sat in the house of God, you've listened to the word of God today. And deep in your heart, you know that you're separated from God. You know that you need a friend, his name is Jesus. And you know that in your sinfulness, there's no way that you can approach a holy God. Believe it or not, that is a great place to be, that you know that outside of the grace of God, there's no way you can approach God. If that's you and in this room, and if you are willing to give your whole life over to God, and if you say, I, I, need, to, I need to become one with God, I need my sin removed, I need to be in fellowship, I need to be one with God, I need to covenant with God today through Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do, to be bold. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. But I'm telling you what, God is extending his hand out to you. As David extended his hand and his goodness to Mephibosheth, God is giving you a chance right now. Come on, bring your brokenness. Bring your broken life. Bring your sinful life. Bring your crippleness. Bring your stating. Bring it all to the table of God right now. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Come on. Thank you, ma'am. Just shoot your hand up. Come on now. Right there. Thank you, ma'am, in the center. You're willing to give yourself to God in this place. You haven't. I would just suggest that you don't pass up. Thank you. Just hands going up. I just want to tell you another hand over here. That's right. Come on now. Right here, right now, right where you are. You're getting ready to come into the greatest experience of your entire existence. You're getting ready to get your sins forgiven and you're giving your life to Jesus. He's gonna take it and do something with you. You who raise your hand, just pray this simple prayer. Say, Father in heaven. That's right, just say it after me. I am a sinner separated from you. I am out of covenant with you. But today, Lord, I give you my life. I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me and come and live in me. Lord, I want to put my feet under your table. And I want to eat from your table for the rest of my life. I thank you for forgiving me and receiving me today. In the name of Jesus, amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van Decote wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. 
We are one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.